Hi, this is Mark. Welcome to my podcast, Making Friends with Mark McGark. Hey, welcome to the show. The premise of this podcast is very simple. It's just that I, Mark McGark, am trying to make friends with some very nice, funny people. And this is my chance to sit down with them, talk, figure out what makes them tick, what are their interests, and uh, hopefully share a couple of jokes. Today, I am talking with Jess Mulder, whose name on Twitter is at Jess for a minute. Uh, and Shazam Jones, for some reason, is also her name, but I call her Jess. She's very funny. She's very interesting. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Uh, one thing that I have to say about this particular podcast is this is my first one, okay? This is show number one, and I don't really know what I'm doing. So some things might not come out very well, and I'm... Extremely concerned about the audio here. It didn't quite work the way that we had expected. We both did what we needed to do, but it didn't come together in editing. So the audio quality might make you uh, murderously angry. But just bear with me, okay? Hopefully the next one will come out better. And hopefully you can hear well enough to understand what we're saying. That's the best that I can do right now, okay? We're just going to have to leave it at that. We all make mistakes, right? But hopefully this podcast isn't uh, the opposite of mistake. What is the opposite of a mistake? Uh, um, an accomplishment? That's, yeah. Okay, so if I, if I front load it here by telling you this is an accomplishment, you have to believe me. Deal? Deal. Okay, let's get into it. Thank you. By the way, today's podcast is brought to you by No One, which you may know from Nowhere. If you would like to support this podcast, you don't have to. Why would you do that? Just listen. Thanks. I see you have some tattoos. Did you did you design any of your own? Um Yes, kind of. So, here's the thing. I have a lot of shit tattoos. (laughs) (laughs) Because young Jessica was kind of an idiot. And she wanted all the tattoos from when she was like 16 and 17. And was like, I've been doodling this on my notebook. Might as well tattoo it on my body forever. Yeah, but that's still so much better than somebody who's like 16 and they're like, oh, I just want a skull so bad. And then they go to the Flash and they get the skull. Like, at least you have your own designs that come from your head and your soul, right? Even though they're horrible, yeah, for sure. (laughs) But the newest ones, like these three on my arms, this, this is an old, like, of my existence that's like a cover-up of a billion different things because some guy couldn't draw long story that's old fuck this thing wait so that's like that's like a blue rectangular design on your inner wrist it's it's trying to be it's trying to be van gogh's starry night oh yeah i see it there's the building there's the stars yeah but it's just like oh it's the bane of my existence so i pretend that's not there but (laughs) this one I just got, this is a tulip, 
I just got this when I spent six weeks in Holland. Oh, cool. Uh, this past year. So this is a, like a black and white tulip, and it's on your right forearm inside. Yes. Yes, exactly. And I am, um, yeah, I'm Dutch, so I was in Holland, in Dutchland, in the Netherlands. Those are all the same things. Nobody calls it Dutchland, by the way, but... This is like your creative director title. You just have to pick one and go with it. No, well, I say Holland, and then people are like, but I thought you went to the Netherlands. And I'm like, it's the same. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely not Denmark, though, which lots of people think. So there's that. What's the the significance of the tulip, though? If you got it in Holland, does it mean something there? Well, yeah. Tulips are like the Holland flower. Like, it's Dutch, like... Dutch as fuck. Tulips <laughs> are Dutch as fuck. And um, my, my dad's friend, who he introduced me to before I went there, who I've since named New Dad because he's so much better than my dad. New Dad. Um, <laughs> he told me this story about tulips and how tulips were at one point like just like the the lifeblood of the economy in Holland and there's just so, like so much history behind it and it was just really cool and I wanted something Dutch but I didn't want like the little wooden clogs and I didn't I almost got like a, a quote in Dutch but the Dutch language is like super ugly and it's <laughs> like no um so I got the tulip instead because I was like all right it's like you know I'm going through a divorce spring comes the tulips come right. out this one's blooming, like much like me. Oh, like, you're blooming. Me, you know, getting getting super like you know meaningful behind it. And then I got it done there, so like makes it even more Dutch. So that's that. And then this guy, this little guy is. Okay, so this is like a geometric shape or like concentric, not circles. Those like envelopes almost. Like the polygon gets like more and more, so it's like three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So yeah, octagon is like the biggest one, but this is based off of this anti-anxiety gif that I would look at sometimes when I started to get like super anxious, and I was like, I don't want to take more Valium or whatever. And um, wait, did you say gif? Yes, I, I say Jif. Huh. This, okay, I'm just going to write that down as a uh, characteristic of Jess. Mark, Mark, Google it. The inventor of GIFs says it's Jif. And I don't like how GIF sounds, all right? Because it sounds like... It is, yeah, it's like, it's like, a, it's like a hard... It's goopy. It is a little goopy. Yeah. yeah, I guess it is. But I don't know. I have looked it up, Jess, and I did see... It is Jif. I did see that. The creator said it should be pronounced as Jif. However, it's kind of like a Queen's English versus American English issue for me. And uh, I just prefer the sound of GIF. I like the goopy sound. Man. I'm going to get wrong. <laughs> started this thing and we're <laughs> You're just going to... You're going to slam your laptop shut right now. This is over. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so you you have a gift tattoo, which is it kind of makes sense, like thematically, because it is sort of like undoing itself on your wrist. There's like there's sort of like an animated look to it. Well, yeah. Well, that's the thing. If you look at the gift in real time, like it opens and <gasps> the closes. GIF. I, I said I'm saying gift for you. Because You're being so accommodating. Being super accommodating. Don't expect that in any other <laughs> aspect. Just just with this, you get one. Um, so 
you breathe, you inhale and you exhale as it opens and closes. So the thing actually moves, which obviously you can't get a moving tattoo, but that's the idea behind that one. So this GIF or GIF, however, whatever your flavor, you can actually breathe and interact with it, like the one that your tattoo is based well, yeah, off? Yeah, when you walked. Yeah, you get like, like once you're looking at it online, um, you actually like it opens and closes like it disappears and then the triangle comes out the square comes out the other shape like so it kind of like opens and closes like i'll send it to you so that you can see the link um, okay so you know what i'm talking about but yeah it's 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 cool and you just like you inhale as it opens and you exhale as it closes and it's like super oh, relaxing okay i get it so you kind of like blend with the rhythm of the gif I thought when you first said, it, I thought maybe it's like you can actually control it with your body movements, and like I was like, how does that work? But um, oh, that makes no. sense. Yours yeah. makes way more sense than my imagined quality of the technology. Just is not there yet. No, not yet. But when it is, oh man, it's gonna be great. It'll be like um, someone hyperventilating instead of using a paper bag to breathe into. They're like, I just gotta load this GIF, and then they would yeah, breathe into exactly. that. Exactly. So it's pretty cool. I liked it, captured it in its full form, and then was like, tattoo this on my body, please. Nice. Um, and I got one more. I don't know how long we want to talk about my tattoos. I've been talking about it for a long time. Let's do this one, and then we'll move one, on. It's kind of hard to read because it's kind of upside down. Okay, but... gravity holds no presence here. Oh, my God, you read it. I didn't have to tell you. It is legible. You... Yes, I and this one I drew. So this is in my handwriting. Oh, neat. Um, which I thought was important because, I don't know, I didn't want to pick some random ass font. And so I wrote it out like 60 times until it was perfect enough. But still imperfect because it's still handwriting, you know? Yeah, but you don't want it to be perfect. This is like perfectly imperfect. Exactly, Mark. See, you get it. So, yeah, and this is a, a song lyric based off of um or that's from this Nako and medicine for the people song that i really like but i just really like the whole gravity it just kind of makes me think of like not letting shit weigh you down i guess that seems uh thematically appropriate for your life right now exactly exactly yeah. my life is fucking trying to drag me into quicksand mark <laughs> bullshit <laughs> but I feel like, I don't know, I don't know anything about you yet, but I do feel like, how long have you been in L.A.? Has it been uh, over a year? Yeah, I moved to L.A. Uh, with my now ex-husband September 2015. Okay. So, it's been over a year. Um, it'll be two years, I guess, this September. But then when you broke up with him, um, you moved to, did you move to or from Koreatown? Uh, I moved to Koreatown. Okay. We were living in Culver City, like Mar Vista area. And then uh, we we're going through all the shit over there. And then I kept being like, I need space. You need to move out for a little bit, you know? And he wouldn't. So I was like, all right, well, I guess I have to go across the world to get away from you. So I went to <laughs> Holland for six weeks. Um, oh, okay. I didn't realize yeah. that coincided with your breakup. Yeah, it was like, it was kind of like a, this is us getting space. Like, I wanted to get divorced before I left, and I filled out the paperwork. But I said, you know, I'm going to go for six weeks. And then, you know, assuming you 
are able to like maybe somehow turn your shit around while I'm gone. <laughs> maybe it'll change my mind, you know. Um, okay, but, so you gave him a chance, but no, I think that's more important that you took control because like yeah. you you are taking authority of your life after this, I imagine, traumatic event that happened. Um, and it's probably hard to even say that it's that traumatic because I doubt it was just one single event. And I don't know, we can get into that. But it's like how trauma unfolds and you don't really realize how it's affecting you until you come to a head. And you're like, I gotta get out. I gotta move. Yeah. But I think yeah. it's important but that you took the step to like move away. It's like it, but okay, so you're right. No, it wasn't. Oh my God, this shirt is like tripping me out. Is it looking all crazy on your screen? No, it looks totally normal and tepid on my screen. Okay, because it looks like a hologram going to give me a seizure, but fine. I'm just going to keep looking at you. <laughs> I'll just and not breathe with your shirt because you have it. It looks a lot like that tattoo that you have. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Yeah, you're right. It's not just one thing. There was like a million things. So, like, I tried really hard. Like, I'm a really fucking understanding person. But, like, I even had my limit. And then going to Holland, like, I needed to clear my head. I needed to get just, like, space because it was getting intense and, like, a little scary. So I was like, I need to remove myself and just, like, and plus, we were supposed to go on, like, a honeymoon because we never really did one. We did, like, a honeymoon, which was us moving to L.A. <laughs> and, like, but it was, it was cool because we, like, took a few weeks and, like, went across the country and, like, stopped in a bunch of places. So it was cool. But it wasn't, like, a traditional honeymoon. So what we were going to do this past December-ish was go to Holland and Ireland. But, like, he fucked that up. So I was like, well, I'm still going to go, motherfucker. So I just went to Holland. And, like, um, I, my my lineage is Dutch. But I never really learned the language that well. So I wanted to sort of immerse myself and, like, try and learn um, and just kind of, like, see Amsterdam I'd never really been except for once when my dad took me as a kid so I'm like that doesn't count <laughs> you know you didn't get to run around like on mushrooms you know you weren't in Amsterdam you know what I mean is that what so, you did oh I mean and then some Amsterdam crazy Mark we'll get into that <laughs> you can't throw a rock without somebody handing you cocaine or mushrooms or some shit like oh my god or at least me. I don't know. Maybe I... <laughs> you just attract cocaine, I guess. I attract all sorts of fucked up shit, apparently. You'll find out more as we get to know each other. <laughs> but was your your time in Holland, did you even get to enjoy it? Because I imagine you had a lot of processing to do. And sort of like, it's like its own emotional journey based on what you're going through. Yeah, I mean, I did and I didn't. I mean, it was really hard, honestly, because... Like, the first week I was there, I was so depressed. Like, I was just like, where the fuck am I? I don't even know. Like, I was staying in this lady's guest house, uh, atelier, she called it, that I rented that was her art studio, and she was kind of weird and, like, way, like, controlling, so she was pissing me off left and right. <laughs> but I was renting this place, and, you know, it was, like, just outside of Amsterdam, like, kind of in this little suburban neighborhood, and I was working while I was over there. So it wasn't like I took this vacation. Like, I was just like, I can work wherever, so let me, you know. And I just had to change my hours. So I worked from, like, 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. Amsterdam so that I could be on East Coast time. Okay. So, so you know, for the first week, I was, like, super depressed and took that time off to, like, acclimate to the jet lag and all that. 
got to see some cool things, but I was very just like, I don't know what I'm doing, like, what the fuck? And then, but then I went out in Amsterdam, like, there was like a day off or something because of like Veterans Day, I think. Um, And I just like went out by myself on a Friday night in Amsterdam and like went to one of like the smoke shops, which (laughs) was really stupid because like, when you hear about Amsterdam, they're like, oh, everywhere, all the coffee shops have weed and all this stuff. And I was like, cool. So I like, <laughs> walk up. Walk up, I go into this coffee shop, right? Yeah. And it, like, is next to, so there's, like, it says coffee shop, and then right next to it is, like, uh, like, a, like a paraphernalia shop. And they're clearly selling, like, pipes and shit. So I was like, this looks right. Yeah. So I walk in. Wait, do you have to go into the paraphernalia shop before you go into the coffee shop? Sort of, like, no. buying your own mug before you go to Starbucks? maybe no it's it's but like depends on what you're gonna get and i wasn't gonna risk it i didn't know what i was gonna see in the coffee shop so i was like i'm gonna do the weed first and then decide what i want to put it in you know i'll do the weed first so i can concentrate on the paraphernalia in the coffee shop and pick one that really speaks to me exactly so so i go to the coffee shop and i'm sitting there and i'm looking around and i'm like I don't see anything about weed like anywhere like so i'm just kind of like okay and it's like i go up to the front and and like order an espresso and then I'm kind of like thinking like maybe it's more low key than people have described I don't know okay so so I I go up to the guy and I say to him in Dutch um like do you only have coffee here oh my god I have a story to tell you when you're done with this it's so similar but go on okay and then he was like yeah like what else what else do you want I'm like (laughs) (laughs) no we don't have that here and i'm like oh and then i like took my espresso died and left and then like turn a corner and all of a sudden all i smell is weed and i see all these other coffee shops and i'm like no oh you went to the one that doesn't have it yeah i went to like a legit looking coffee shop and like what you need to know is it doesn't look like a legit coffee shop it just says coffee shop but it looks like a smoke hole like hobo den (laughs) that's how how you know you found it so i did and yeah more to that story but i want to hear your your antidote here okay so when i lived in new jersey i lived in this town called montclair and uh there's this really i found this really great jamaican restaurant and it wasn't that far from my apartment so my girlfriend at the time and i would go there and we would always get this really great jamaican food but every time we went we were the only ones in the restaurant it was like it wasn't a huge place but there was there were like at least six or seven tables that were always empty every time we were there but i noticed that they had like a delivery so like a delivery window and that was busy as hell so people were always going to the delivery window but they didn't seem to be getting any food so <laughs> so my girlfriend and i were like what's going on there what are they doing and uh we were like i bet they're selling weed so we went there a couple more times we're trying to build up our courage so we could ask them for some and uh I think it was like the fourth time that I went there, I was finally like, okay, I'm going to do it. So I went up to the delivery window and like, I was sort of like waiting for them to say to me like, oh, what do you want? Um, But they never did. So they handed me a a menu and I had to be like, do you have anything not on the menu? 
<laughs> and they like would not play along. So they're like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? And I was like, do you have weed? I think I actually said like more lame. There's like marijuana. And the guy got so mad and he kicked me out and he kicked my girlfriend out too. And he was like, get out of here. And then we, it's not like we were banned from there, but we were just so embarrassed that we could never go again and enjoy that delicious food. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I, I would have done the same thing. I would have been like, well, I can't go back there now. I know. Like, forever. Yeah. Like, I bet so you never went back to that lame coffee shop. No, I didn't. Of course not. your only coffee. Are you kidding? <laughs> so stupid. Why are you next to a paraphernalia shop? That's very deceiving. It is deceiving. He like, oh my god, they know what they're asking for, right? Uh, come on. He could have put up a sign. Yeah, don't make me be that guy that asks like, got anything else? Nah. Like, so now I look like the asshole. <laughs> you assholes put your store next to the wrong spot because I would have never went in there otherwise. If it weren't for that. Ridiculous. All right, so you you got there. Okay, so now you're like a week into Holland. You finally get what you're looking for. Yeah, so I so I like didn't even I went around the corner and then I found my weed right. Like and I was like, cool, this shop looks fine. And so mm-hmm. I went in and got some weed, but I was all frazzled. I have anxiety issues. For Me sure. too. So, yeah, we all do, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> when we're on Twitter, like, in that room. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing we can control. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We can write pithy sentences. Exactly. But, so I go in and I buy some weed, and, like, I don't, like, I never really learned how to roll joints growing up. Like, even though I smoked weed from a very young age, because um, I grew up in South Florida, and, like, everybody there is, like, 40 when they're 14. <laughs> so, like... <laughs> But I never had to. Like, I always had pipes or bongs or, like, somebody there to roll a joint. So, like, okay. in the coffee shop, they're, like, um, they, they, like, give you some papers and they give you the weed. And then I, like, I'm looking around and there's, like, nowhere to sit. And everybody's just, like, calm and clearly knows what they're doing and is already, like, rolling their joints and, like, has their little group. So I'm, like, Ugh. And I just, like, scrambled my way out of there. And I was, like, damn it. I guess I'm going to have to figure out how to roll a fucking joint now. <laughs> Wind outside. And so I made my way back to the paraphernalia shop instead, got myself a little pipe. And you'll be happy to know, though, by the end of my trip, I did learn how to roll a joint. Oh, I was so just going to say, you never did, but you did. You did learn. inspirational story, okay? <laughs> <laughs> the hero wins in the end. Um, but, like, basically, yeah, I just went out and I, like, smoked my weed, like, outside on a bench by myself. And all of a sudden, this dude comes up to me, like... And it's like, hey, can I hit that pipe? And, like, we're talking. So I make a new friend who turns out to be a drug-dealing tour guide. What? A very forward drug-dealing tour guide. Well, no, everybody is very friendly over there. And so he's like, want to grab a drink? And I'm like, yeah. And so, like, we went out for a drink and, like, somehow, you know, we meet this couple. And this couple's like, hey, do you want some mushrooms? And I'm like, sure. And I, like, (laughs) ate some of their mushrooms. And then, like, the tour guide's like, hey, do you want some cocaine? I'm like, Sure. And then all of a sudden, oh I'm like, my god, you're really like, going for it! Yeah, well, Holland Jessica does not say no to anything. Okay, she gets crazy. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I was like partying my face off that first night, and after that first night, 
I was like, this is fucking great, okay? I am out in this crazy-ass magical place. Like, have you ever been to Amsterdam? I have not, no. It is, like, I don't know, it's magical. There's something about it, like, there's, like, the canals and the lights and everybody's on their bikes, and it's just, like... I don't know. I just felt like you never really have to do anything specific there. You just have to be walking around and like things will happen around you and you'll meet people and they'll be interesting and cool or weird or whatever. That does sound magical. That sounds like a storybook or, you know, just uh, fateful events just happen to occur right in your own little area. Yeah. And like, you know, I'm still friends with that tour guide. So on Facebook. So like when I go back, tours or drugs i mean <laughs> you can't beat it choose your poison yeah. so that's great what's his name uh sebastian oh, okay that seems very appropriate sebastian yeah. the drug dealing tour guide <laughs> sorry sebastian bad at you on the internet Just okay kidding. well that could be an alias we don't know we don't know yeah. how forthcoming you're being in this conversation, but it sounds, I don't know, you just opened up to about three different drugs that you took, so I think we can believe you. I where that came from, And then you kind of, like, settled in. Did, did you find your time in Holland to be uh, at all healing or sort of, like, bring on any new awareness that helped you to deal with what you're going through? The thing was that, like, because I was so far away and I made a point to say to my, like, soon-to-be ex, like, look, I don't think we should talk, you know, because we, we, I think we tried in the six weeks to talk um, via text twice and maybe on the phone once. I don't even think on the phone. I think it was just all through text. And, like, every time he did some stupid shit uh. that made me so angry that I was like, what is wrong with your brain? <laughs> this is why we're not talking go away you know yeah sometimes you have to cut off communication at least for a little while right right and so like that that was part of the healing was cutting off the communication from being like immersed in this new environment and sort of being forced to like be uncomfortable in different ways like constantly going out and like trying to speak the language and like not being understood and like being frustrated because like people would switch to english and i'd be like oh no or like (laughs) you know fuck i want to learn and you're not helping because you're switching to English because you know that I'm ruining it (laughs) so so that was like difficult but cool and then working was really tough like but that also was kind of a distraction so I worked a lot while I was over there and that like distracted me enough that I didn't get too depressed at night (laughs) which was kind of cool yeah exhaust yourself with work so you can fall asleep exactly (laughs) but like I um but I'm impressed. Like, you, you didn't fall to pieces. You know, you, you didn't wallow in the tragedy of the thing. You actually became very productive and well, that, uh, explored that, some that new possibilities. Later. That comes later, Mark. The falling to pieces comes later. Okay. <laughs> we're, still back, we're still back in November right now. Yeah, actually, that reminds me. I was, just, I was reading this book, um, and I heard on a, another podcast somewhere, too. It's kind of related to it. I was reading Alison Bechdel's book, Fun Home. And um, in the book, spoiler, sort of, alert, her father dies. And uh, she has to go through a mourning process. And, like, when it's, like, in the immediate aftermath, she just is, like, she finds it absurdly funny. Like, she can't have any proper reaction to it. 
and uh, it's not like hitting with her. So they go through the funeral and uh, family visiting and all that, and she's just like, "What is happening with me? This is not how I should be doing it." And then she says, "It hits her later." Um, when she returns back to normal life, and it's just sort of like, okay, during that time when uh, when we were having the funeral, that was sort of like a celebration of his life, or sort of like a way to remember him. But now we're back in real life, and all that I sense is this emptiness, like the 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 his presence is now missing, and now I feel it, and now I'm mourning. So, like, it's not like you went through a death, but I think. Like, a lot of people, I think, get married, and they sort of think, oh, okay, I've got this taken care of now. Like, my life is on a trajectory, and, like, you, you sort of, like, settle in and put some trust in the whole situation. And then when that ends, can be really difficult to deal with, and it kind of sort of, like, um, challenge your expectations for your entire life. Oh, for sure. And that definitely happened, like, you know, you know, it's not a death, but you, you do grieve it as if it is a death, you know, and I, like, like you said, the expectations, like you had this plan and like plans for the future and things that you were going to do, whether it was travel, having kids, like whatever, you know, um, just things that you talk about when you're married and like what you want to do in the future. And then like all of a sudden it's just like, none of that is the thing anymore. So it kind of made me question like everything that I was doing, like even my own personal goals, uh, like moving out to LA to want to do stand up and to write and film things and you know just work in entertainment in general wherever I could I suddenly was like do I even want this anymore it was like things that I was thinking about over there and then I'm like I you know I didn't do that for him so of course I should but it just seemed like everything seemed so stupid and pointless and um yeah you're reevaluating everything again so it's right. it's not so much do i want like when you decide that you want to do it again you're really deciding for yourself and you're like okay now i have uh unattached from this other thing in my life uh, are all my goals still in place like what do i still want to do what i thought i wanted to do and then if you from that point find that you're still interested in it i think that says a lot about yeah. you know your particular talents and uh, what you want to do with your life, right? And especially because like because he worked in entertainment too, or tried to whatever. Uh, <laughs> Loser. There's so many reasons why there's so many reasons why this went awry, Mark. Um, but like we were supposed to be working on things together, and like that was something that like he kept kind of like dropping the ball on, and so it was like somebody that was supposed to be a creative partner suddenly wasn't so it was like well now I need to be alone or I need to find a new one you know so like that like threw me off but was also kind of good and weird but like yeah I think the trip really helped put some space between it those few conversations that we had where he just acted like a dipshit and I was like this is reinforcing that I made the right choice yeah <laughs> to the point where I was like when I get back you need to be moved out by like the end of the month so that gave him like weeks notice but that didn't happen and then there's more going along with that. So, okay. I don't know. I can talk all night about this. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to let you, like, guide the conversation a little bit. Okay. No, I think we went into that. We might come back to it a little bit, but I think that we covered it pretty well. Yes. We covered a lot of shit. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you started stand-up while you were still married to him. Is that what I'm hearing? Uh, yeah, actually, before I knew him, I started stand-up. Oh, well, where were you when you started? In New York? Yeah. 
Yeah, in New York. Uh, I moved to New York. Let's see, I graduated college in 2008. Yeah, we're the same age, you and me. Yes. Yeah, we yeah. are. We're both okay. uh, the old 32 years old. Yeah, we are. When's your birthday? High five. <laughs> uh, January 16th, oh, okay. I'm a little bit older than you. Mine's in July 1984. Oh yeah, see, I got I got the shaft because of January. It gave me eighty five, so people are like, "You're a baby," but no, <laughs> yeah, you're older than me, an older man. Wow, <laughs> I've been such a cougar lately. I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah, we should talk about that too. But okay, let's go into the stand up. So you started in New York. Would you go to like some kind of um, alcohol fueled open mic? Well, here's the thing that's interesting: is that like, okay, I. I grew up watching, like, in middle school. Every day I'd go to my grandma's house after school, and I would watch Seinfeld, like, religiously. Like, oh, I was the best obsessed. show. Uh-huh. The best show. I remember I wasn't allowed to watch it for the first couple of years. But then, like, my family wouldn't let me watch it because they're very conservative. And I, I don't know. They didn't like his whole agenda. <laughs> You're <laughs> grabbing your face in shock. <laughs> But I remember being at a hotel, like we were on, I think, a trip as a family to Washington, D.C., and my parents were just so exhausted, and we went back to the hotel, and we turned on the TV, and the only thing on was Seinfeld, so like, it's fine, we'll just watch something, and then we watched, and we all loved it, Jess, we all loved it. Of course you did, it's the best show, <laughs> what agenda, he talks about observational stuff. <laughs> Well, I mean, there's, like, masturbation talk, you know? I didn't really pick up on that right away. And then casual sex talk. Oh, my God. Speaking of which, like, how young were you when you watched Seinfeld? Like, when you were finally allowed to, and, like, you started, like, watching it? Yeah, it was still on the air. It was probably in, like, the fifth season or so. Um, I don't know how old I would be then. I'm guessing 10, somewhere around there. So, like, that's, like, around when I, like, was really starting to watch it. And, like, do you remember, I don't know how much you've seen of it, but, like, do you remember the pro-choice episode with Elaine? Oh, yeah, where she was dating the guy and that was a deal breaker. Yeah, that was a deal breaker. Like, I cannot tell you, I don't know when I finally was old. I think maybe probably not until I was, like, 18, 16 or so. But, like, when I was 10, like, I did not understand that joke. Like, it went over my head every freaking time. And I was just like, pro-choice, anti-choice. Like, I did not get that it was an abortion issue. Yeah, it's vaguely worded for a reason. Right, and that's why your parents were mean for not letting you watch that shit sooner, because, you know, <laughs> good. But anyway, Seinfeld was like, the reason I brought that up is because, like, I, I think, I like to look back and think of how I ended up where I am. Because, like, growing up in South Florida, you don't grow up around a bunch of people necessarily that are creatives that want to go be in film or do stand-up or whatever there's a lot of especially like my mom and everything it's like business and like you go, you get a degree in law or you do something that makes sense it's <laughs> not it's not me ever and like so i was always so confused and then like when i graduated from college and like was looking around i went you know looking around orlando and south florida whatever for jobs and wasn't finding anything i finally like just a friend of mine uh was like ah i'm I'm doing an internship in new york for four months come live in my bedroom with me on this air mattress you're not doing shit and i was like all right so so i grabbed like my laptop and like some clothes and like whatever money i had and i was like yes i'm 
to New York. And so I moved to New York and like, and, and we lived in Greenpoint, shared this like little fucking expensive ass room in Greenpoint. Yeah, Greenpoint um, is not cheap. No, it's not. And she was like a little jaja for my taste. So she like was a little what? Jaja. Well, what does that mean? Like you're doing a shoulder toity. shimmy as you say it. Hoity toity. She's <laughs> like she grew up with money, and so she was like, "Oh, it's fifteen hundred dollars for a bedroom. That's right." I'm like, "No, it's not. That's a whole apartment, okay? <laughs> like it's not one bedroom, asshole." Like so, yeah. I I moved there. Was living there. Um, for a few months with her and like I, I just got like four random jobs like I was working at a restaurant I worked for NARAL National Abortion Rights Action League canvassing oh good for you I bet you got the Seinfeld episode by then it made sense <laughs> yeah I did <laughs> actually it was during the orientation at that uh, <laughs> at that company that I learned and I was like I get it now <laughs> no but um, everybody like, stop everything I get yeah. the Seinfeld episode now season three episode seven (laughs) i don't know that that's it but um yeah but like yeah i had several different jobs they all sucked in their own way but it was awesome because i was in new york city and like checking it out and i don't know why but like suddenly i was just like i think i want to do stand-up and one of my friends emily who's still a great friend of mine to this day was like you should do it and we worked at nayron together and i was like i will do it and so i signed (laughs) up for I actually was like a little afraid to go to an open mic at first because I had no idea where to start. I bought that book, The Comedy Bible. Did you ever hear of that one? Wait, what is that one? Who wrote that? Uh, I forget. Can I look it up real quick? That's okay. Is it helpful? Did you read it and get pumped? I, I read it and I got pumped. The cool thing about it was uh, Judy Carter. The, the cool thing about it was that it kind of gave you some like rookie tips. Um, that like rookie comedians make mistakes of which actually to be fair before I decided to do the class I did do like a little stand up bit for a handful of my friends in my apartment with a hairbrush okay like walked out and then and it was so bad and then I got <laughs> this comic bible and like was like oh I made that mistake and that mistake and that mistake and that mistake and I was like cool but, so yeah, that's there, like I think that's so important. So you did a rehearsal, right? You did like a dress rehearsal with your friends, yeah. which I think yeah. is way more bold than actually going to an open mic in front of strangers and doing it. Um, but I don't know. Like everything that I read is contradictory. So some people say you should really study everything as much as you can. And then other people, and I think like the majority of people say just do it just do it and like that sounds like what you did you did it and you learned from your mistakes even in your little living room show so were you able to take that and go to stage and feel a little bit more comfortable no i definitely i I still took a class anyway but it was mostly because i also wanted like meet people and kind of like just like because i i was so nervous to just like walk into a thing and like not know what the fuck i was doing that I was like, all right, if I'm in a class, like nobody knows what the fuck they're doing either. That'll be nice. And I just thought like, it's, and it also I'm such a procrastinator that having the accountability of having spent money on something was like, this is going to make you do it. But like, I don't think it was necessary to take the class. And to your point, like people say, read everything. Like I never finished the fucking book. So I was like, <laughs> I get it. you know, throw it over the shoulder. Like take that fine. Judy Carter. Yeah. You wrote a shit book. Yeah, it's just like you 
everybody's going to have a different opinion. Everybody's a different person. Like, we're all going to have our own voice and our own things we want to talk about. And, like, the last thing you need is somebody stunting your growth. And, like, I've had that happen where I listened to people that I respected and it sort of stopped me from doing stand-up for a while. And, like, I'm like, fuck that guy. I wish I wouldn't have listened to him. You know, so I, I did my, like, trial run. I started to read the book a little bit, which helped me, like, craft a little better jokes. Went to this class. The class was okay, but it was it helped with, like, confidence of, like, doing it in front of people. Yeah. Um, and it was probably, like, three sessions or whatever. So it wasn't even, like, a long thing. But it was cool because at the end of the class, you get uh, to do, like, a show, like, a bringer show, whatever. Where at? At UCB? It was at uh, Comics, which Comics is no longer anymore um, in New York. But when I my day <laughs> comics was a, was a comedy club and that's where I uh, you know first did my first bringer show and like my graduation whatever and got my first ever like stand up DVD which was cool but then after that I just like went to open mics you know you know I had made friends through the class most of them had dropped out and like didn't do it anymore but then I just started meeting friends like going to the same open mics and doing that um, That's great. I find it. Dif- I didn't take a class, but I find it really difficult to meet people at open mics. That you you see the same people, but what happens is you're watching. They do like rapid fire, so they'll call up comics uh, the whole time. Mo- a lot of times without a break at all. So you're just like one after another after another, and we're all in that room. And like the respectful thing to do is to be quiet or like listen to the comic and laugh at their jokes. So it's like it's really difficult to like strike up a conversation with somebody there without feeling like you're being rude. Um, so I think it's like really I think it's great that you had the class where you could meet some people. So at least you had some familiar faces, you know. Well, yeah, and also to that point, like I agree completely, especially when people are on stage, like definitely not talking during their sets because that's super annoying. But when I tend to meet people is like, because I'm getting there early, so it's like as we're waiting for like the guy with the list to get there, then you talk to them. Or yeah, that's true. Till the end, which a lot of people leave before the end, which I used to get mad about, but I'm like, all right, you know, people got shit to do. Who cares? But yeah, like, but if you stay till the end, and the other people are there, you can like slap them on the back and be like, "Great job on stage today," and then they'll be like, "Wow, really? You mean that? That means so much to me." And then your best friends. Then your best friends, yeah. Well, like, the thing is that, like, if you don't, like, I will stay till the end if, like, you know, I see that, like, nobody's going to be there by the time the last person goes on. Because the last thing you want to do is be the comic that goes last and, like, not one damn person except for the guy with the list who's, like, texting. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's really considerate of you. Yeah. Well, because I remember that from, like, doing open mic starting out and being like, everyone's gone. I'm last, man. Yeah. But sometimes it really sucks. Sometimes even if there are people there, it still sucks cuz everybody's in their head. They're like, "What am I going to do when I go on stage?" and they're not paying attention. Well, it's really hard. You have to like actively like I have to actively try to be like, "Stop thinking about your joke, selfish." <laughs> pay attention to what they're doing so that they'll do it for you and then they don't and then, you know, I hate them and then I follow them to their car and no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But now you're doing it in L.A. Do you find that the scene is a little bit different? Maybe more accepting, more friendly? Um, you know, it has been pretty friendly. Um, I haven't been to 
that many venues out here compared to as many as I went to in New York. Oh, it's harder to get around. You have to drive. You have to, like, have a purpose in mind and go there and get in your car and deal with the traffic and then find a parking space. Right. It's just a whole... And, like, if there's a parking space, it's a whole to-do for sure. But, like, in New York, I remember... um, I remember it being a lot more like dead silence nobody's paying attention to you they're too busy working to their on their stuff yeah i mean you still get that here but like the one of the open mics that i used to go to when i lived on the west side was kind of like a workshop a little bit where at the end you could you could have three minutes to get feedback on your material if you wanted oh that's and nice I thought that was cool and liked that and everybody was really supportive because of that so like that was a really cool room and most of the time you get laughs like which is so rare in an open mic comedians like are the worst critics of you and they're not listening so you know usually you don't get laughs so so that was cool and then even this last one i went to this past weekend um was more comedy clubish. The other one was kind of like a back room in a coffee shop that had a stage and sure. like couches and shit. But like this was like legit like lounge comedy club style, and like people were mostly paying attention. But there was also like thirty people, which was a lot for the open mics that I've seen here. Usually it's like ten, um, and but they were yeah, but they were pretty uh, they were pretty supportive. They laughed at some stuff. I mean, you saw the video that I sent you. Yeah. Even though it's kind of like, you know, not the greatest. There were some laughs throughout. It's like, that's surprising, especially for like a first attempt at a joke, you know? It was. Um, you were, you um, you sent me your uh, the text of the joke or like your ideas for it. And then yeah. you then you recorded yourself on the very first time on stage, which is bold, Jess. It's like, and then you sent that oh, to I me. Did. So, uh, like, I got to see it in the very beginning stages. Yeah, which, thank you for reading and watching that, because that's awesome. And, like, normally, like, I would not, I would never post that anywhere. Like, I share it with people privately if, like, they want to see it, or if I can, like, get their opinion, because I want to be able to hear, you know, what I'm not seeing or hearing in it. Um, But I always record it, because, like, that's how I know uh, what I'm doing wrong, I guess. I've stopped recording. Uh, I, I've stopped recording my sets, um, and I probably will do it again. But like, I was so focused on the recording and less focused on the performance when I was doing it. So it sort of just let me detach from that a little bit. Um, and I don't know. Like, I I do like the idea of each performance being its own thing. So like, every time that you do it, it it is a little bit different. Even whether you're trying something new or doing the same jokes that you did the last time, it's different. Like, the way the audience receives it is different. The way that you're feeling is different. So I found that as a way to sort of like surrender to the process in that way. Um, yeah. But that's different than how I started, because I started and every single word was written out because I was so nervous. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I just, I had such immense stage fright that I was like, if I don't write this down and memorize it, there is no way it will come to me when I am on stage. You're gonna go blank. You're going to black out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes I do black out still, but whatever. Um, I do feel slightly more comfortable now, but I still get nervous and sometimes, Jess, I don't get nervous, and then that really scares me when that happens. Oh, 
I wouldn't know what that's like. So my worst yeah. performances are when I'm not nervous. Like I think I need a little bit of that anxiety to drive me. Yeah, it's like what do they say? If you're not nervous, you don't care. So that yeah, that could be it. Where else? How long have you been doing stand up? That's a good question. It's it's weird because it's like there's not like a definite timeline. I started when I turned 30. I was like, okay, this is something I really want to do. So I did start then. Um, and I went to a bunch of places before I worked up the courage to do it. So I, I said to myself, I was like, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to spend the entire month of March just watching. And then by the time May comes around, um, that'll give, give me two months that I've been watching. Then I'll go up and do it on stage. But then I got excited and I went up in April. Um, and it didn't go great, but I was just like exhilarated by it. So I, I did that. And then I, I, like, I would kind of do it here and there when I could work up the courage. So I wasn't yeah. doing it like every single day or anything. Um, and then I had a bunch of times where things happened that turned me off to comedy. So um, one thing that happened was that big shooting in Orlando. Do you remember when that happened? Yeah. And that was just like one of the saddest days. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, nothing that I say matters. So it was just like I, I couldn't, I didn't have any determination to do it at that point. So I took like a long time off then. And then I started to get back into it. And then we had the whole Trump being elected thing. I was like, no, this is terrible too. So, <laughs> and I would get down on myself. And I was like, this is, this is my dream. I want to do it. Like, this is something that, that is important to me. So, this in uh, January of this year, I I work best when I give myself challenges. So I gave myself the challenge to do a uh, hundred performances before my next birthday, and like that gives me a chance to like tick them off on a list and see my progress and keep going. And like, okay, now I have a tangible goal to go for, rather than oh, do I feel like doing it today or like can I get to the place on time? It's like no, I'm I have to do this. That's a good idea. I think I'm going to do that. I, mean, I don't know if I'm going to do 100, but I'm going to try and do some like that. I like you know, it. It's so funny that you mentioned like that, like that feeling of being like nothing I say matters because that's so like I have had that happen to me too when it when it comes to this sort of stuff. Like the only thing that brought me on stage recently was because I was like, well, I have some shit to get off my chest about things that I've been dealing with, you know. And although not important in the grand scheme of how fucked up the world is, I was like, at least I have something to say that's not like me coming up with some lame joke that has no personal feeling behind it, I guess. Oh, that's what I do. <laughs> that's me. That's my style. I like, I like that sort of stuff, too. But it's just like that, that wasn't bringing me to stage. You know what I mean? Like I needed yeah. like something that I was like passionate about that I could be off book for. Yeah. Just be like, I'm going to fucking say it. I don't need my Speak notes. Speak from a goddamn heart. Like, Exactly, Lord. So, like, but I I used to blog or whatever, and I think we've talked about this, like, because uh, everybody's talking about their blogs all the time and shit. And uh, I tell a lot of stories. I like to talk about life, and I like hearing about other people's lives. Um, and but like around, you know, back in the elections and everything, like with Trump and all that shit was going on. I was so angry and upset and I was just like nobody cares about my damn story about my dog that one time you know when I was a kid or whatever like the world is falling to pieces like why am I even bothering trying to be funny on the internet 
I was know, in the same place. Like, it's taking me away from Twitter, too. Like, I'm like, I don't want to talk today because what am I going to make funny jokes when, like, a bunch of people just got murdered or whatever? You know, it's just real shitty. But we need the comedy mark. We need to keep it moving. I think people do appreciate it. Although, yeah. like, now I think the Trump thing... It's still a huge, huge problem, but it's it's less acute than it was before, right? Like, during the election, it was like, okay, this is happening right now. And everybody yeah. was full of anxiety and completely surprised, taken off guard. And it was just, like, overwhelming for every single person that I talked to, anyway. And, uh, I had a literal panic attack. The morning I woke up and saw that Trump had won, like, I threw up. Had a fucking panic attack. Oh, my like, God, yeah. Or what? Do I live in Holland now? This is crazy. Like, yeah, I was like, the entire day, I was just like, out of my body. Um, yeah. But like, now he's still, he's in office, possibly for four years. And you know, that's really scary and daunting. But I feel like we've kind of, we've done some things, right? We had the big marches. I've been to a few protests, which helps me to feel better. Awesome. And... Um, Like, he's still there, but it's, like, more of a chronic problem now where you can, like, okay, this is affecting us, but I can still go on with my life. Yeah. As compared to before, where it was, like, the world may actually end in the next 45 minutes. He's a chronic pain in the ass. (laughs) But at least, like, we know it's there. We take our salve every day. (laughs) We just deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. So now we're back to the meaningless dumb jokes. That that's what I'm back to. That we need. Yes, we need those. Did you um you've been on Twitter. How long have you been on Twitter for? Um technically I've been on Twitter since like two thousand nine. Ooh, that's a but long I didn't time. Really start really like actively tweeting until maybe like a year ago. Like when I moved to LA I was like I'm going to do Twitter for real. <laughs> and now I regret every moment of it. No, no you don't. I'm so happy no, that I, your presence on Twitter. No, I know. I love, I love everybody that I've met that's awesome on Twitter. And I like, I love making my stupid shit tweets. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's a great community. That's one of the reasons I'm doing this whole podcast thing is like, there's so many interesting people and I want to get to know them a little bit better rather than just reading the words that they type over a computer. Right, that's awesome. I think that's great because there really are like so many funny, interesting ass people on there that are just like they're they're just like in this abyss of all this this other all these other words, all these tweets like that. Yeah, yeah, but there's a person behind all of that. Right, right. Like you think about like just like this mom in the middle of nowhere, and she's so freaking funny. She's got like, <laughs> thousand followers. Damn I know. Hilarious, like. Things like that is just, like, really cool when you think about it. Yeah. But I was going to say, for me, I didn't realize that I could be funny until really I started tweeting. And then I was, like, not funny for a while, but thought I was funny. But um, then, like, after a little bit of time, I was like, okay, every once in a while, I really land on something. And then that gave me the courage to do stand-up. So I didn't... But it sounds like you started stand-up, and then you're like, let me do Twitter as a way to... I don't know, make better jokes or get my get out there a little bit more, find a bigger audience? Yeah. You know, I kind of, like, thought about using Twitter for that at first. Like, and I was kind of like, ah, you know, I'll put my website. I'll say that I'm a comedian. I'll just do that. But then 
really like I don't even connect the two like people usually find out later like once they get to know me and I was never really in the rooms um I've only been in two ever but like once I'm in there and like getting to know people then they know that I do comedy or they know more about me but like I don't usually share that or say it especially because I have a day job too so I don't like to give my real name um on the public you know profile or whatever but yeah I, I I actually look at it more as like an outlet of and like a therapeutic community than I do as a a way to enhance my career um in comedy that's it cool. would be cool if somehow it did like if all of a sudden I'm so damn funny that people are like let me give you money like that would be great for sure but it's not <laughs> that's just <laughs> I don't think that happens <laughs> only with a select few that and it might have happened to a couple of them I know somebody who said that he got um he got asked to write um what do you call it not a treatment but like when you um when you write a, a like a fake script for a show what yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. The spec script. Um, Sorry, you said it so fast. Spectrum. 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 <laughs> so he got asked to do that for like a really big show, and it was all based off of his Twitter. So I thought, I guess these opportunities do happen. But but I'm with you. Like I think I did like for a while. I was like, okay, this is how I get into comedy. But now I'm like, no, this is like um, a really great way to hang out with my friends a little bit. You know, like, it's a different kind of friendship than you have in real life, but it's it's just as important, I think, yeah. for me anyway. I, I agree. And I, and I think also, like, being around funny and compassionate people that are, like, kind of just, like, just, like, they get you and you kind of get them and you're supportive of each other and, like, you, like, it almost, like, gives you inspiration. Like, think about how many, like, tweets and joke ideas you might have come up with just by having these funny ass conversations that all just end up in you know and that's just really cool to me like especially because anymore with our technology like how how often are you in a room with like five to seven of your friends just shooting the shit like making making lame but hilarious puns whatever (laughs) the hell you're doing you know what i mean yeah just like the shit like that doesn't happen that much anymore you know it's just like text when you get there blah 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 blah. so it's kind of like we get to go back to that era but we're in we're in our phone <laughs> no it's, a, it's like we're in a writer's room all the time yes and, it is like a little writer's room it's yeah. kind of cool and how like, convenient that everything is written down so if you do say something that you like copy and paste that bitch paste that bitch motherfucker <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes all right, we've been we've been talking for a while. I don't want to make this too long, but I'm having a good time. Um, yeah. Let me. Can I just ask you a couple more questions and then we'll wrap it up? Sure. Okay. Uh, I did uh, kind of a deep dive on your Twitter. I was a, like, I did my research, um, and I I saw something that said it was like a picture that you had taken. It looked like maybe it was in your diary i don't know um it said something about your experiment to be nice to yourself do you know what i'm talking about so i'd love to hear about that but then in that picture you also scribbled below that entry in your handwriting you're like june 3rd i already failed so (laughs) i was i would love to hear what that's about okay (laughs) so so 
generally as a human being, um, and I'm working on this in therapy. I I. I just, I just don't really like myself as a person. Like, I don't, I never really have. I've always struggled, like, with anxiety and depression. And I'm just very hard on myself. Like, nothing is ever good enough. Like, I work, you know, I give 125% at any given time to the point where I burn out, you know? Mm. And, like, that's just because, like, it's like there's this inevitable something I'm trying to prove to something. Like, to be like, you are, like you're good, you're fine, like, you're cool, don't worry about it, so, just being super critical of myself for, like, oh, you slept in too late, or, oh, you, blah, 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 blah. like, and, like, one of the things that made me write that down that one day, because I journal a lot, was my alarm was set to say, uh, you know, you can, like, change what the, what it says yeah. on your alarm, yeah. yeah, instead of, like, wake up, or whatever, mine said, wake up, asshole. Oh, that's and, not nice. I know it's not and so like every morning I got this alarm that was like wake up asshole and I was like (laughs) (laughs) no fuck you I'm going back to sleep you can't treat me like this no wonder I don't wake up ever Jesus (laughs) like so (laughs) so I was like no and so like I like changed it and it was like do it up or like you got this or like I changed it to something inspirational like cheesy but like yeah but way more positive yeah, positive, because, like, my, my knee-jerk is to be, like, jokingly negative, because the way I deal with pain is through comedy, so... Sure, but when, first thing in the morning, when you see yourself calling you an asshole, it might not be the funniest thing in the world at that time. No, it might not, but, like, it wouldn't, that didn't occur to me until, like, it just, like, kept happening, and I was just like, man, and then, like, going to therapy and, like, having, you know, my therapist say things like, oh, you know stop referring to yourself as crazy like you know you have anxiety disorder you have an anxiety disorder you're not crazy like it's a thing you know so I was just like all right when I'm like kind of feeling down I'm not gonna sit there and be like oh you should have done this you should have done that like why didn't you do this better blah 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 blah. like like all those voices that just swirl in your head and like drive you crazy I say you assuming that you understand what I'm saying, but, like, really, I'm just talking about me, but... I know, I completely under... I go through the same thing, so just pretend that we're on the same level here. Don't even pretend. Know that we're on the same level. Awesome. That makes me feel... Not alone. So, so, yeah, so, like, all that sort of shit that goes through your head, so I was like, all right, I'm gonna be nice. Like, only nice things to myself. Like, if you, you know, wake up late big deal like you woke up a little late maybe you needed a little more rest Jess like that was like <laughs> the thing that I was gonna do for me was just be a little bit nicer and, like I wrote that in my journal like all gung-ho ready and then like open the journal a couple days later and oh well you already fucking failed because like the first thing that I went to write too was like well look at this you said you were gonna write in the journal every day for four days like, and then, <laughs> like so many of my journal entries are like oh way to go fuck face you said you're gonna write this every day it's been a week like you know so yeah that was just me attempting and failing at being nice to myself but i'm getting better now since june <laughs> i hope so because that upsets me because you're you're like so nice i don't want i don't want anybody to bully you including your own self thank you well nobody's as mean to me as i am to myself so really good luck to anybody else out there trying to, <laughs> <laughs> trying to pull some shit off no, I am in the same boat, but I think that the difference is I don't hold myself to as high of a standard as you do. Like, it sounds like you really expect the most from yourself. Yeah. 
I think for me, I'm like, yeah, I messed up, and uh, I should have known I was going to mess up because I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, it's just that's just the way it goes in my life. Yeah. Well, that's good though. Like, I think for me, like my mom uh, is such a badass. Like, she's just so. She just like knows stuff and it's been so great at everything. And I feel like I've always tried to be as good as her in her eyes and in her like, but like, that's one of those things. It's like, I mean, not to get dark, but like, you know, it's not that stand up comedy is something she thinks is amazing. Like now she's like coming around to it and certainly like acknowledging the things that I'm interested in, but mostly. I've just had, like, I've had a lot of big shoes to fill, I think, in that sense. and um, Yeah, and I, that I've can be problematic a, with a role model that you really admire. Because right. um, you can try to live up to how you think they should be for yourself when, really, you should be plotting your own path. Right, um, exactly. That reminds me of how you said when you lived in South Florida, nobody was doing anything creative. Um, and I had the same experience when I moved to New York. It was like, oh my gosh, I'm meeting so many people who aren't just trying to go like down one particular career path. Where they're like, okay, like most people are like, I'll be a lawyer, a doctor, a teacher, uh, I'll work in retail, whatever. Um, but then when I got to New York, it was like, wow, these most of these people are like creating their own journey, whatever it is. So it was like. Okay, uh, I'm like I meet somebody who's like a DJ slash gardener, and they're like, "That's exactly what I wanted to do." Like, that's what not me, but like that's their personal path, and like, I don't know what it is, but there's something about living in a city where people are taking control of their lives and sort of like showing you that you can choose your way that right. makes a huge difference. Um, and that also makes me think of how you said in your stand-up, you feel like you have something to say. You know, you you are you seem to have found your own voice, and maybe you're still honing it. I don't know, but that yeah. can be the thing that you look to for for yourself, rather than comparing yourself to your mom, for instance, or another role model who's on a different path. You just have to do right. your own thing. Right. Exactly. And like, I certainly am honing the voice, and like, every, but it's just something that has never left me. Like, stand up is like, even if I'm taking breaks and things like that um I uh I, I I always have this itch to do it it's like I, I need to get out there and it also like just for anxiety purposes like something about like finishing a set and like not dying oh my god like, yes amazing. there's such a it's sense like, of relief like, after it's over <laughs> yeah yeah okay I, I think you got some potential kid I can call you kid because you're six months younger than I am. No, look at look at this, Grandpa. Inspiring <laughs> this wisdom onto me. I'm getting it's some different. gray hairs in my beard. I might be turning into a grandpa. Uh oh. All right, I'm gonna ask you some questions from our Twitter group people that you know and love. Oh no, they gave us some questions. They have some very important questions. Um, I'm gonna ask you. Two from Mason, okay, um, because one of them is sort of a little more abstract and the other one is more concrete, so you okay. can sort of choose your path on that one. So Mason yeah. wants to know... Can I grab a beer while we're doing this? Yeah, grab a beer. We're having a 
So Mason wrote in and Morgan wrote in. Um, but I guess nobody else had an opinion, so we're just going to go with those two. Well, because everybody else hates me, apparently, and doesn't care about our, our conversation. That's fine. So I'm sure that's true. To myself? That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, so Mason, two questions from her. Number one, what is it like to be Jess? And number two, will you move in with Mason? <laughs> Those are great questions. Uh, what's it like to be Jess? Uh, what it's like is kind of like pretending that you have your shit together and you're a functional 32-year-old adult but really not having any clue what you're doing, but everybody hasn't figured it out yet, so it's pretty cool. I'm pretty um, sure nobody so, figures it out ever. I know. Please don't tell anyone I'm a fraud because I got a good thing going here. <laughs> Art director, I do stand-up, I have an apartment. Shit, it's good. I got this dog. Louie! Oh, my God, there he is. I can't believe I didn't introduce you to Louie. Hi, Louie. This is Mark. He was sleeping. Hi, Louie. He does not look happy. Oh, there's a yawn. He did the, the tongue roll, but it didn't roll out, so I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> Next time. And then, uh, wait, where does Mason live? Um, Good question. I don't, maybe North Carolina? I don't remember. No, I will not move in with you, but you can move in with me and Louie. <laughs> All right. Um, and then Morgan wants to know... Did it hurt when you fell from heaven? <laughs> I love Morgan so much. She's, She's the best. The best. <laughs> well, did it? Everything hurts always. <laughs> That's why I'm so funny. God. No. The pain makes you hilarious. Oh, okay. I guess I should ask this third question from Mason. She wants to know, can she get a slice of that booty? Yes, absolutely. Anytime. Anytime. She will be thrilled. <laughs> I love these questions. <laughs> Dick bags. I'm going to yell at them as soon as I get in the room. Hey, what kind of bullshit questions are these? Yeah, take it seriously, guys. Come on. No, this is a very serious conversation here. All no. right. So we talked for, I'm looking at this thing, we talked for an hour and 12 minutes. Look at us. I know. Now we're friends, right? That means we timing. Uh oh. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't you worry. Oh man. Do you feel good, Jess? I do. How about you? I feel good too. I'm glad nice. we did this. Thank you for being my first podcast conversation. Um, thank you for asking me. This has been awesome. Very yeah. cool. I can't imagine imagine a better first one. So, um. I hope that stays true once you uh, have more guests. You're like, Jess is still the best one. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I'll see you later. I will see you later. Okay. Bye. Bye. One last thing. Thank you to Will, who is at Upside Down Trash, for designing the logo to this podcast. Will, you're very funny and talented. Thank you.